Amen. You may be seated. God is good, is He not? God is always good, and we get to sing praises to Him. And uh, what a privilege it is to be able to do that together this morning. And, uh, you know, so we are uh, continuing in our journey through Genesis. Our series is called Genesis Foundations. The future begins here. Remember the idea is that if we're going to understand what God is doing now and in the future, we're all thinking, is this it? Is this the end? Is, is Jesus coming back for us? Well, we need to understand how the story begins because the future all begins here in Genesis chapter one. So today, in just a few minutes, we'll We'll uh, open it, but you can open your Bibles and get ready. It's going to be from the six days of creation. So this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, all the way to chapter 2, verse 3. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Again, going through a book like Genesis, there's going to be bigger chunks of Scripture that that we will uh, look at. Of course, we won't always be able to read all of it. But today we're going to look at three things with it, and, and I'll share those three things in just a moment as sort of a highlight about what God is doing and why this is so important. You know, I wanted to, to share something with you, um, and it's not really earth-shattering, but I think it's really important that you know this. I have never worn sunglasses. What do you think about that? That's strange. You're all looking at me like, so what? What do we care about that? It's a weird thing, right? I've not, I tried it once. I didn't like it. Never worn them since. I never wear sunglasses. I even tried once to get those things that flip on your glasses. I just didn't, the way it, I didn't like the way it looked. But here's the thing. I, there's something about me I don't like looking through a different, like a darker shaded lens. There's just something strange about it. I never liked it from the first time I tried it. And I am now 50 years old and I've never worn a pair of sunglasses. I go to the beach, I go out when it's a sunny day. I'd rather squint and hurt my eyes than wear sunglasses. And it's just one of those weird things about me. But it's something about the darkened lens, the shaded lens. It just freaks me out. I don't know what to tell you. Seeing the world around me, seeing people just, I feel like I can't see what's there. It feels like it's, um, it's keeping me from seeing what I should be seeing. And I know it's irrational. But, um, but it's, yeah, it's one of those things, you know, and, and I just, I've never worn sunglasses. But here's the thing, when, when we see the world around us, right, we're all seeing it through a certain lens, right, whether we, we have glasses or not. And I mean, I, I could take off my glasses and, and um, I can't, I, I can just make out there's like some, some fuzzy shapes around and, uh, and, and, you know, I can't tell how many people are here. But I have to say, you all look pretty good. That's right. Oh, there it is. That's right. Haha. There's a joke. But yeah, it's just strange, right? Many of us wear glasses, but there was something about the sunglasses. But we all have some kind of lens or some kind of filter through which we see the world. All right? And, and what we call that is a worldview. We all have a worldview. It's a philosophy. It's the way that we, we see the world. And there are many worldviews out there that people try to use to explain what they are experiencing, what they are seeing. But as Christians, as believers in the God of the Bible, we have a worldview and it's called a biblical 
worldview. Now, there are many opposing and competing worldviews out there. There always have been. There always will be. But we need to be reminded of what our worldview is. It is important and good to study other worldviews, like what, how people see the world, other ideologies and philosophies. But in order to recognize what is not true or not biblical, we need to start with understanding and knowing what is biblical. Does that make sense? And what the Bible does say, because as Christ followers, as children of the living God, then we are to take the Holy Scriptures and filter everything that comes our way through this lens, right? As sort of like sunglasses. So as we see events happen in the world around us, now we're not trying to predict events or set dates, but we're saying, I'm sure the Bible has something to say about this. Remember I mentioned that one of the the reasons I think it's so appropriate to be going through Genesis now because every issue that you can see um, being talked about on the news, every issue that is out there today and always has been, has its foundations in Genesis. Whether it's right to life, whether it's marriage, whether it's government, it's nations, it's murder, it's it's, uh, capital punishment, it's whatever it is, it's creation. Everything starts in Genesis. But here's the the thing. If you take nothing else away from today, we're going to look at the pattern of the six days of creation, a a piece of scripture I think we've all probably read, at least in part, at some point. But if you take nothing else away, remember, our view of the world, our worldview as Christians, has to be a biblical worldview. And we need to keep that in check often. Because isn't it just like our enemy Satan, who Scripture says can appear as an angel of light to deceive us? Because Satan is never so obvious, right? He is a deceiver, and we'll get to that as well. And I think maybe, perhaps, the most devious thing that he has done is he has allowed humankind to come up with all kinds of philosophies and worldviews and ideologies that have a lot of biblical truth in them, but sprinkle in things that are completely ungodly. And sometimes it can be hard to recognize. We need to be critical thinkers, but critical biblical thinkers. That's why we bring our Bibles to church. That's why we go through books of the Bible. So it is the whole counsel of God, right? Because we want to see the world through God's eyes. And it is usually... Not the way we see it. But see, that's the Christian life. That's the discipleship path. That is the learn, grow, and serve is putting on those glasses more and more often throughout the day where we can see the people around us and the world around us through God's eyes. And He has revealed Himself to us in His Holy Word. This is His Word to us, His revelation. So if you want to understand yourself and the world around you, first understand who God is and what He has done. And so last week we talked about Genesis 1, 1 and 2, right? And how God even created the empty space so that He could then do what we're going to read about today in the days of creation. And I think what we're going to see in in our time together is how important it is that we understand um, what God is doing and why uh, it is important for us to 
to understand all of the rest of Scripture. There are different theories, different worldviews, different philosophies out there, different interpretations of what God did in those six days. And we could spend a few years just talking about these few verses and about what people are saying and thinking and believing and propagating, even in many other churches. But let's remember this too, church. When you're going to talk about anything, especially when it's something biblical, we have to define terms and keep it in context. That's important to remember. When you're having any kind of conversation, especially today, right? Define terms because words change meanings over time. And sometimes for good and sometimes not. So we have to define terms. What are we talking about when we say a day that God created the, the, the world in six days? What do we mean by day? It's important we define terms and keep it in context because words can have different meanings in different scenarios and circumstances in context, right? And so we have to always read Scripture in context and define the terms biblically, properly biblically. I mean, that goes for any conversation you're having, but especially when you're looking at the Word of God. And so I want to look at three aspects of our passage today. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read three separate sections of uh, this passage of Scripture. Again, it is Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 3, day 1 of creation, all the way to chapter 2, verse 3. When we see God instituting the Sabbath, remember that, when he saw it was all good and then he rested? So we're going to look at that whole passage, but in three sections to sort of highlight it okay, and see why it is important to us today. Because it's not always the goal, is we realize there is one way to interpret it, many ways to apply it. We want to see, God, what are you teaching us today? What do we want to leave with? What is that so what moment, right? We always kind of go through the scripture and unpack it, look at some highlights about what God is saying, but then we ask ourselves, so what? So what does it mean for me as a child of God? So let's, let's get right to it. And before I even read Genesis 1 verses 3 to 5, let me remind you about our outline. Because again, this is context, right? This is part of that principle of context. So the book of Genesis, I'm going to do this every week, just as a quick reminder before we get into that, the passage for the day, that the book of Genesis can really be broken down into two parts, okay? Part one is the foundation of the human race. That's from Genesis 1 to 11. And then part two is the foundation of the Hebrew race. That's the rest of the book, chapters 12 to 50, okay? So that is like a big sort of macro way to, uh, to divide up. Genesis, but it helps it. Um, it helps us to understand what, all these stories that we might be familiar with some, from Sunday school. How are they all connected, and where do they play their part in the story? So, Genesis one to eleven is the foundation of the human race, and then Genesis twelve to fifty, part two, is the foundation of the Hebrew race. Or you could break it down uh, a little bit further after that, and then you have it this way: you have. Um, uh, you have the foundation, of course, of the human race and the Hebrew race. But then there are four events and four people that we could break it down even further. This helps us focus a little bit more. So part one, okay, follow me. I'm almost done with this, uh, this review. Part one is the foundation of the human race, right? And there's four main events, 
that we, everything that we talk about will fall under these events. Creation, the fall, the flood, and the dispersion. The dispersion is the Tower of Babel. Okay, So the, the first part of Genesis, the beginnings of the human race, four main events. Creation, fall, flood, dispersion. But then the second part, the foundation of the Hebrew race, is four people. So you have four events and then four people. An easy way to understand it, see? And the four people would be Abraham, right? Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. There's a lot of other people mixed in there, of course. We will look at many of them. But these are the four main characters that we want to trace God's story through. Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and Joseph. And the first part is the four events, right? And so, where are we today? And for a while, we are going to be in part one. And it is the first part, right? And it is creation. Okay, so the four events in the first part, which is where we are, is creation. So that's where we are today. We are still in the creation story. Because last week, we introduced it. And today, we're going to look at the pattern for those six days And what are some of the significant implications for us? Okay, So Genesis 1, verses 3 to 5. I'm going to read this. Genesis 1, 3 to 5. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of the days because I want to show us the pattern. We know God created different things on each, uh, each of the days, right? But we just look at um, day one and we see God creating a pattern here that carries out through the six days of creation. So let's highlight a few things. We see, and God said. Is that not beautiful right there? And God said, it means he spoke it into existence. He spoke it into existence. Only God can do that. Church, you can't say a word enough times to speak it into existence. You can't pray something enough times and speak it into existence. Only God does that. Right? How about the wordings? We see it says, God said... And God saw, and God called, and God separated. You get a a, a picture here? Who's doing all of the stuff? It's God. Okay? Because remember, uh, Moses wrote this book. He wrote this book. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We call it the Pentateuch, Pent for Five. He wrote it, right, during the wilderness time, before they were going into the promised land. He wrote it, why? To remind the people of Israel who they are. They had been in bondage and slavery in Egypt for centuries. And see, they had forgotten who they are. Church, if we want to remember who we are as God's children, we need to remember who He is And all of this applies to us as well. But that was the context. Moses was writing it to the Hebrews to remind them who they were. And of course, he's going to start with this is who God is and what he has done. And so it says, and God said, and God saw, and God separated, and God called. God is doing the creating. It may sound simple enough to us, but we are in the minority of holding that 
biblical worldview. God is the one doing the creating. How about the first words we have ever recorded from God in His revealed Word to us? What does it say? Let there be light. Is that a great way to be introduced to God's Word? God says, let there be light. God wants the world filled with His light. We are now called children of light because of Christ. We are to reflect His light. He says, let there be light. Important. He also says at the end in verse 5, there was evening and there was morning. See that? There was evening and morning. He says that for each day, evening and morning. Why is that important? Because He is setting the boundaries. He has already put the, the, the earth into rotation, into motion. It's evening and morning. It also helps us to see how long is this day? We'll get into that a little bit deeper in a second. Well, there's morning and evening. I think we all understand morning and evening, don't we? We get up in the morning, we go to bed in the evening. Some of us, maybe we get, we go to bed in the morning, we get up in the evening, right? But there's morning and there's evening. Day one, morning and evening. Day two, morning and evening. Day three, there is a pattern here. And God said, and then he does his thing. There was morning and there was evening, and then the day is given a number. So that these are all significant things that we learn from the pattern of the days of creation. Evening and morning, the pattern for the cycle of a day. And then it says the first day. And then uh, on and on as he goes through the other days, day one, day two, second day, third day, right? The days are numbered. Again, they are given specifics. They are parameters. I'll tell you why it's important. How about this? Days 1 to 3. Again, we're not reading it all, but maybe you're familiar with, with um, what he did on each day in creating. But when you go back and read it all, look at this. Days 1 to 3 pattern days 4, 5, and 6. See, day 1 matches up with day 4. Day 2 matches up with day 5. Day 3 matches up with day 6. Days 1, 2, and 3, God is really kind of shaping, okay? He, he's shaping and molding. Days 4, 5, and 6, He's filling. See that? It, it's kind of like a potter, right? God is the potter. He, in the first three days, He is shaping and molding. And then 4, 5, and 6, He's putting it to use and filling. So He creates the heavens and the earth, separating the waters, the dry land, right? The, the sky, the firmament, all of that. And then we see him filling it with sea creatures and, and, and birds of the air. And then, of course, day six with the land animals. You see, isn't that interesting? I mean, let's not, let's not lose sight of this. That God is a God not of chaos but of order and there's a pattern. So God creates and he, and he kind of he, he molds it and fashions it and then he fills it. For the rest of the days, 4, 5, and 6, when you go back and read it, you'll see it's, it's such a beautiful thing. Day 1, He creates light. Day 4, the sun, moon, and the stars. Well, let's pause there for a second. A lot of people trip up on that. Well, how could God create day, uh, light on day 1, but the sun's not created until day 4? My answer is this. Is He not God? Can He not create another source of light? Does it not tell us elsewhere that God Himself is light? God created a source of light that was enough for the first three days, even creating vegetation within those first three days, a source of light to provide life 
And then on day four, he creates the sun. There is no reason, church, not to take this literally. We read the Bible literally. God wants us to understand, doesn't he? He's not planting all kinds of different codes and symbolisms that to confuse us. Moses is writing to the Hebrew people. Were they all like well-educated scholars? No, he is writing, this is what God did. In six 24-hour days, God created everything. See? And so on day one, he creates life, but day four, sun, moon, and stars, he fills it in, gives some detail. Day two, he creates the atmosphere, the firmament. And then day five, he fills the atmosphere and firmament with birds and then the sea animals, see? And then day three, he creates the dry ground and the plants. Day six, there's land animals and humans to populate the dry ground and to eat the plants. See, God is a God of order. So we can read it and understand it and believe it. So let's, let's um, look at this real quick. How long is a day? That word day. Some of you are sitting thinking, they're too long. My days are too long. <laughs> I need more than 24 hours in my day. Do you ever feel like that? But how long is a day? Because there's a lot of theories out there. There's one prominent one now called the day-age theory. That See, what people are doing is they're trying to take science and stuff it into Scripture and say, well, science is, is proving all this, so somehow i got to fit it into my, my biblical worldview. So I guess the day means maybe millions of years each day. But that's just, again, taking science, trying to fit it in the Scripture. When we take a biblical worldview and what it says first, science eventually will catch up with God's creation, right? So there is this prominent theory out there that says that it's called the day-age theory, that these days of creation are millions of years old, so we can understand and make sense of what the scientists are discovering, okay? Let me, let me make a few points about this. First, again, we don't want to try to match up the Bible with science. It should be the other way around. The Bible is our absolute truth, okay? What men will discover about how God has created the earth will eventually catch up to it, or He will come back for us. So we need to check our worldview. What is it that we believe? Because like I said last week, if you get the first four words wrong, in the beginning God, and now we're looking at in the beginning God created and how He did it, then the rest of your worldview will be on shaky ground. So check your worldview. How do you believe this all came to be? Did God do it, as it says plainly right here, where there was morning and evening? Does that not give an indication that it was a 24-hour solar day, morning and evening? And he numbers the days. Every other place in Scripture where the word day is used, and this is important, with a number, a modifying number, it always means a 24-hour day. So, Moses is writing this, he even says morning and evening, and he gives the day's numbers. So if you look at all the rest of Scripture, the word day means a 24-hour day. Yes, there are other uses of the word day in Scripture that can mean a long period of time. Second Peter 3, verse 8, right? With the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and, and a thousand years as one day, right? We've read that. Or how about Psalm 90, verse 4? A thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it is past. See, the word day there does mean an age. But remember what I said. We defined terms. And what was the other rule of understanding Scripture? Context. Right? 
So if we take the word day, and elsewhere it can mean a long period of time, an age. But if you look back at Genesis chapter 1, each day has morning and evening as margins and parameter. And it also has a number. Every place else in Scripture, there are dozens and dozens of other times that the word day is used with a number. The first day, on the third day, on the fifth day, 40 days in the desert, right? It all means a literal day. 70 years in, in captivity, 40 years in the wilderness. That Those days, those years with the number always mean a literal based on a 24-hour day. So why would we then want to mess with Genesis chapter 1? It's because people have a hard time. And this goes back to the fall, which we'll get to eventually. This all goes back to people not wanting to give control up to God. We just can't, we just can't fathom that God really did this. Doesn't it seem sort of weird and, and like kind of something you'd see on the sci-fi channel that God is doing this? Well, again, the first four words in the beginning, God. And that's where we start. A few more things about this. It is just poor hermeneutics, which means how you interpret the Bible, to use a New Testament Greek word for day to define an Old Testament Hebrew word, right? Another reason. We look at the context but say, why are we going to interpret this that way? Okay? And how about that? There's light on days one to three without the sun. God didn't. Some people say maybe it's not in order. It's not six days in a row. People are trying to reconcile it. Because they just can't take God at His word, right? God created light without the sun. People, sometimes it's hard for people to understand that. There must be an error because the sun doesn't come into existence until day four. But see, again, we're looking at, we want to look at God's creation through the one who created it, God. We have our own sort of blinders on our own limitations as the creation. He's the creator. When we think of light, we're thinking of the sun. That's sort of our only reference point. God isn't limited to that, is it? How about um, in Revelation 21? This is the end of everything. We're looking at the beginning. How about at the end of everything to give us a clue? And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. How about that? So at the end of all things, we won't even need a sun. Because God's glory will be enough for all of eternity. Is that awesome? So we don't think that in the beginning for three days that he can create a light before he actually creates the sun? How about in Revelation 22, the next chapter? And night will be no more. They will, they will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. How about that? The Lord God will be their light. Just like in chapter 1 it says, And God said, Let there be light. God is the light. Awesome. So how about this? So let's move on from the six days of creation. Hopefully you saw that there was a pattern there. The morning and evening, the day one, God did it all. And God said, and then God created. But He also said it was good. We'll get to that in a second. But look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. I don't want to skip over this. This is specifically what happened on day six, because this is directly relevant to all of us sitting here today. What happened on day six of God's six days of creation? Here's what it says, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. On day six, he created humans, humanity. Male and female, he created them. You think it's a coincidence that he did that on day six? See, we are the pinnacle, the apex of his creation. Do you wake up in the morning and feel like that? Not always. See, but that's how much God loves us and how special we are to him. That on day six, after he created everything and he set it all up for us, God says, and there we see the first clue of the Trinity, right? God says, let us make humans in our image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all involved in the creation process. And we see He creates us made to be holy, Adam and Eve in a perfect garden, being in perfect relationship with God. Breathe life into humanity. Created us to be relational to enjoy fellowship with Him, to have a relationship with Him. You see it. God says, let us make man in our image. Let Him join in this fellowship. See, we can know of our own existence and of His existence. This is a spiritual image. Of course, it doesn't mean God looks like us. Physically. This is a spiritual thing mentally And emotionally, we can love because He loves. We can know of our own existence because He created us. But see, it is this image. Us being created in the image of God. Church, this is what was marred by sin. Which we will see in the next couple weeks. See, it's the image of God. We are created in His image to be like Him. To be perfect and holy. Are we perfect and holy? No, apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, remember, His righteousness is imputed to us. So we now, before God, the one who created all this, we are now looked at as pure and holy and perfectly righteous because God sees the blood of Christ covering us. So we are, yes, once again made holy in His image. But we know that we're not going to be perfect until we get to heaven. Until He comes back for us. So the rest of our life and our obedience to Him and and walking in faith is reclaiming being made in His image. But in Christ, for all eternity, in what truly matters, we have been made back in that image. Because that image is what was marred by sin. Okay? It's important to remember. And then part three. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31 into Genesis 2, verse 3. Here's what it says. And God saw everything that He made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. See, the end of the sixth day, after creating the pinnacle of His creation, humankind, He looks over at it. Remember every day He said it was good? 
And now he says, it's really good. It's very good. And that was evening, morning and evening, sixth day. And then chapter 2 starts this way. So it's kind of a summary. So thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Can you imagine the Israelites hearing all this? Moses wrote it down, is reminding them, and they're like, man, I forgot about this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what does this have to do with us? A few things. First of all, let's not miss that God said it was good every day. Then he said it was very good. Our God is good, so his creation is good. Remember when sin entered into the picture, it was marred. The goodness was marred. The the image of God in creation in, in male and female was marred. But God will not be thwarted forever. Did he also not say he he created uh, man and woman to what? Have dominion over this earth. Do we have dominion? No, because what happened is our parents, Adam and Eve, what they did is they started listening to creation instead of listening to God. They listened to a talking snake. See? It was all marred, but someday God will make it all new again. What we read in Revelation. And that day you won't even need the physical sun because God's presence will be there forever. It will give off enough light for all of eternity. There's not, not even any sin yet. Because if God looks back and says it's all good, then it was all good. means to me Satan wouldn't have fallen yet. When it said there was darkness, that didn't mean evil. It just wasn't light yet. So you look back and he says it's all good. What does that mean? It means it was all good and it was perfect. See, sin doesn't come in until the fall of man and woman in Genesis chapter 2. That's important to remember, church. It might seem obvious to us. But that is when sin enters the picture with the disobedience of man and woman. Because we are ancestors of that. That's part of our legacy. It's important to understand that. So, how about this? On the seventh day, God rested. Was he tired? Did he need to take a rest? He was like, man, that was a lot. No. He rested, why? To give a pattern to the people of Israel, a pattern we still use for our work week. Six days there was work, and on the seventh day, you rest. He gave it as a pattern. Moses is writing this to the people of Israel, and God is saying, this is how I want you to live your life. This is how I want you to measure out your week. I worked, I created for six days, I rested. He didn't need to rest, he's God. But he gave it as an example, as a pattern. Church, do you rest? Good, I'm glad you do. Do you rest too much? (laughs) Maybe I'll point the finger here, right? But we need to get our rest. See, God created our, our bodies so we can rest. At night, what happens? Your, your body starts to shut down a little bit. It rejuvenates. It, it rebuilds, right? Strengthens up for the next day. God's the pattern God created. But on the seventh day, there is to be rest. Look at uh, Exodus. Exodus 20. Look at what it says here. Exodus 20. Again, Moses wrote this. Here it is to the people of Israel. Remember the Sabbath day 
by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, God reiterates it and says, this is why I rested on the seventh day, to give you an example and a pattern. You work the six days and then you rest. Now, church, what is the Sabbath? Again, we could talk for hours and hours on this. Is today the Sabbath? No. The Sabbath is the seventh day. It is Saturday. Our Jewish friends in Lakewood, right, they celebrate the Sabbath, as Orthodox Jews do, and it is from sundown on Friday night till sundown on Saturday night. That is the Sabbath, the last day of the week, Saturday. This is the first day of the week, Sunday. We as Christians gather on Sunday. Why? I said it earlier, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Because did he not rise on the third day? Friday going to the cross, Saturday in the grave, Sunday rose from the grave. That's why we as believers get together. Go, but You go back to the book of Acts and you see that pattern beginning. Now, are we under the law? Are we required by God to keep the Sabbath? No, we are not. We are free from the law. We are no longer under the law. We are under the law of grace. All right? We are under the law of grace. But the principle of rest still remains, doesn't it? Wouldn't that be right? That God would want us to rest? That we work and that we rest. Why? To put a day aside. To put a day aside to remember Him. And and simply to remember that He did it all. See, God instituted it to say, look, someday you're going to forget all this and someday other people are going to bring other worldviews in and try to tell you that these are millions of days, uh, millions of years old and, and there's no way it was like a big bang and it all happened because of you know chemicals, reactions and all that. And God is saying, you know what, people of Israel, my chosen people, I want you to be a light to the rest of the world and for, for ages and ages to come, for all the rest of the time, I want people to know this truth that I created the heavens and the earth. That's what God is saying. And I did it in six days and the last day I rested So, you're going to work for six days, you're going to rest on the seventh and do it all over again because every week I want you to be reminded who created the heavens and the earth, see? God is always bringing a witness to himself. A lot more we can say about that. But here's some things, the way we can say, so what? We apply it to ourselves. Let's remember God is good and all he creates is good. Sin mars it. But Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for that. And one day it will all be made new again. We can learn of His nature and His goodness from His creation. Go back and read Romans 1. So that people are without excuse, it says, because of His natural creation. We are part of His creation. He is the Creator. We are the creation. Let's never confuse the two. That's the beginning of pride. Check your worldview. Do you filter all that goes on around you and explaining the world around you, how we think, how we feel, how we create? Do we look at it through the lens of a biblical worldview? And let's remember this. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the part of the story where sin enters in. Disobedience. When the very first two people, Adam and Eve, confuse the two, creator and and creation they think they can be like the creator and obey creation 
the serpent. See, they were obeying the creation rather than God the creator. And obeying themselves rather than the one who made them. That's why everything, church, builds on Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. And everything builds. Remember the name of our series, Genesis Foundations? All the foundation for all the rest of Scripture is laid right here. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we see the pattern of the six days, six literal 24-hour days that God created. He can do that. It shows us we need to read the Bible literally. Be consistent in how we interpret it. If the beginning is literal, does it not mean what we read in Revelation is going to be literal? Why would it be any different? See, it's important to keep it consistent the way that you interpret and read the Scripture. Because if not, then all the rest of Scripture is just up to our own interpretation. That's where we get what we call relativism. It's all relative. If you're just going to read whatever you want into it, then there is no absolute truth. Then what kind of foundation do we have, church? We have no foundation. We have an unstable foundation. Then we have, like what Pontius Pilate said to Jesus, he said, what is truth? He couldn't grasp for that, what is truth? That was the sin of Adam and Eve. They didn't take God literally. And who was it that deceived them with the lie that says you really can't take God literally at His word? I mean, six days, come on, that's silly. Who was the originator of that deception? It was Satan himself. Remember what he said in Genesis 3.1? We'll see in a few weeks. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Think about what's, what's in that question. Can you imagine Satan in the form of a a serpent? He asked Eve and he said, well, what did God say? God said, don't eat from that tree. And then what did he say? Did God really mean that? Did God really say that? Just question that for a second. Does that make any sense? See, that's what's happening today with any other worldview, church, that is apart from the scriptures. It says, well, it says God created six days. Did he really do that? Did he really mean that? that does it really say that i mean that doesn't jive with what what we really know i mean we're we're smart people now see year 2020 i mean we understand what the world looks like how it was created the big bang theory all that like it's got to be something else see that originated in the garden with satan himself to deceive us to make us question wait who is god really what is the truth can we believe who God is and what He did. Because if we don't take it literally, if we don't base the foundation of everything else in Scripture on Genesis chapter 1, then we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Because as this world progresses, as our society, our country progresses, we're going to continue to see more and more attacks on the biblical worldview. More and more people coming out questioning this. It's going to come into the church Didn't Jesus say, be careful of the world, the wolves coming from outside and inside the church? That's part of what shepherds do in in helping to protect their flock, right? Protect the church from any other worldview that is antithetical to the biblical worldview. 
You know what? I believe God can create heavens and earth in six days. I believe he can do that. And so that I can believe that he sent a savior to pay for my sins. I believe that he can offer me the promise of eternal life. I can believe that there is a heaven that one day I can spend eternity in with with him because of Jesus Christ. That I can believe that what Adam and Eve did was sin. And that sin is real. I can believe what Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I believe that because I believe Genesis chapter 1. Church, check your, your worldview. Go to the scriptures. Don't take my word for it. Don't take the word for it of people on the news or the podcaster you love to follow, your famous author. Can you go back to the word of God and read it? Do you believe that in the beginning God created? And on the sixth day, he created male and female to be his representatives on earth, to have dominion. Now, Satan came and deceived them and took over that dominion. He usurped that authority. But one day, Jesus said, I'm coming back. And that kingdom that I wanted on this earth, the beautiful earth that my father and I created, that I'm going to come back and set up a kingdom where I will rule and reign as king. And he's coming back as king. King and judge, where do you stand with the Lord Jesus Christ today? That verse I read from Romans 6 said, The wages of sin is death, so we all deserve that wage. But, there's a big but right there. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.